Now for a short time this evening, I would like to give a word of testimony. Now my testimony is not a dramatic conversion story like that of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He saw a light from heaven and he heard a voice from heaven. It's not like that. It's more like the conversion of Levi who was sitting at the receipt of custom in his business place as Jesus passed by and he simply said, follow me. I think that sums up my testimony. Remember the words of the blind man after Jesus healed him. In John chapter 9, verse 25, he said, I was blind, now I see. And that's what it was like for me spiritually. I was spiritually blind, but by the grace of God, I now see. Now, I do not intend to spend any time telling you how bad I was. I could miss the whole point of giving a testimony to the glory of God by doing that. Rather, I want to tell you how great my God is and how wonderful he has been to me and what he has done for me, he can do for others. He can do that for you in this house tonight. I want to give my testimony and to do so, I want to ask three important questions that are found in the Bible. Three important questions. In fact, the first question in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. You've really no need to turn to it. Just take a mental note of it right now. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. It was a question asked by God of man. Where art thou? And in the context of this question, God is seeking man. Now, the opening few chapters of the book of Genesis are very, very important. And they are under attack today in many quarters. The story in the portion before us in Genesis involves Adam and Eve. There were no human beings before Adam and Eve. No races before Adam and Eve. And God created Adam and Eve. The man was created first. The woman came next. She was made from a rib that was taken out of the side of Adam in the Garden of Eden. With God, there are only two genders. Because the word of God tells me in Genesis 1.27, male and female created he them. And in Genesis chapter 2.22, he called them man and woman. When we deviate from the initial order of creation and the work of God, we encounter problems. And this world is encountering great and serious problems problems. That's the reason why there is so much confusion. So in the chapter before us in Genesis, there is a word for this day in which we live. God makes it clear. Two genders, male and female. 
And God, according to what we read in Genesis 2, verse 22, God made he a woman and brought her unto the man. This is the first marriage in the Bible. And the first marriage in the Bible was performed by God. And God says in Genesis 2, 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So marriage, according to God, according to the clear teaching of the Holy Scriptures, is between a man and a woman. They become a husband and a wife. The first marriage was between a man and a woman, between Adam and Eve, not between Adam and Steve, by the way, nor between Eve and Ruth. And according to the teaching of the Bible, Adam and Eve had children. But the Bible says, in Genesis chapter 4, uh, verse 1, Adam knew in an intimate relationship between a man and a woman. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare or gave birth to a son called Cain. You see that? Eve gave birth. The woman gave birth. This is the way God ordered it. This is the way God has ordained it. And Cain and Abel, they were the two firstborn children uh, in the world to be born to Adam and Eve. Of course, you know, Adam had no father and Eve had no father or mother. Uh, God created them. They had no parents. But the two first boys to be born, they had a father and a mother. They didn't have two fathers or two mothers. This is God's way, one father and one mother. And so we can see, even on this page that we're turning to tonight, there is truth here relevant for today and for tonight. And these things need to be declared and proclaimed as God's order, as God's way, and as God's plan. Let's get back to the story. Adam and Eve. And we're told in verse, te- verse 8 what Adam heard. We're told here that the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. Or it could be translated or read, the sound of the Lord. And in Acts chapter 2, we read there about the sound of a mighty rushing wind indicative of the coming of the Holy Spirit or the presence of the Holy Spirit. So Adam and Eve are in the garden now. They have sinned against God. And now they hear the voice of the Lord God or the sound of the Lord God, I take this to refer to a physical presence. Was this a theophany? I think most likely it was a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ when he appeared in human form, not in human flesh. Because that didn't happen until Bethlehem, when the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, took into his union and to union with his deity, a perfect humanity. But here we see, I believe, Christ in his pre-incarnate appearing in human form coming. What's he coming for? He's coming to seek after lost souls. And he's here tonight in this gathering. I am 100% sure of that. It's no mistake that you're here tonight. It's no mistake that you're listening on from the fireside or at the... Wherever you're at tonight, God has you listening for a purpose because the message of the Bible is clear. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came seeking after sinners, 
Adam and Eve. He came seeking the lost. And the Lord is still doing that very same thing through meetings like this, right across the world, right across the globe. People are assembling under the means of grace to hear the gospel being preached. That's what Adam heard. That's what you're hearing tonight. The message of a seeking saver come to seek lost perishing souls who are dying in sin, whose destiny will be a lost eternity. But then what Adam heard in verse 10, he says, I was afraid. This is the first time in the Bible that that word fear appears. It doesn't uh, come into the text until after the fall, after Adam and Eve have been separated from God by their sin. And now they have this fear. What did Adam have? He had fear in his heart because he recognized that he now was a fallen sinner along with his wife in danger of the judgment of God. The reason for the fear then was because they were separated from God. And your sin separates you from God. That's what the Bible teaches clearly. It's not something I've made up. It's not something my denomination has made up. But there's something that has been revealed. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous. No, not one. Not a righteous Catholic. Not a righteous Protestant. Not a righteous Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Mohammedan. No, not one righteous. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Adam was afraid. I wonder, in the mercy of God, have you any fear in your heart of God? Have you any fear of dropping into a lost eternity? We're not guaranteed the next breath. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed that we'll get to bed tonight. Some of us could be in eternity before the meeting's ended. Before we reach home, before the night's over, some of us could be in eternity. Think about it. When you die without Christ, you're lost the moment you die. You go to hell the moment you die. You're lost the minute you die. You're damned the minute you die. You cross over. This is no old joke. Make no mistake about it. This is truth, gospel truth. This is the message of the Bible. That's what we go by. Not man's ideas, not man's notions. Not what the majority of people think or say. What the Bible says. God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word. Do you have the fear of God in your heart? If you have, you'll seek him tonight. If you've never been saved, you'll call upon his great name. So what Adam heard, the voice of the Lord, the sound of the Lord in the garden. What he had, he had fear. And then where he hid, we're told that he hid among the trees of the garden. So we see a man, the first Adam, he's hiding behind the tree, but you come to the New Testament, second Adam, the last Adam, he's hanging on a tree. Now, why should he be hanging on the tree? Because he's there atoning for the sins that Adam committed and the sins that those descendants of Adam have committed that separate them from God. He came to make an atonement, to die for the sins of men and women, to bring many sons home to glory into the presence of of his heavenly father. That's why he went to the cross. Where art thou tonight? That's my question to you. I was sent along to Sunday school when I was three years of age. I left there when I felt I was too big uh, to attend the Sunday school any longer. 
13 years of age or thereabouts. God was speaking to my heart even in doing that. Where art thou? Those words never escaped my mind. I began to work. And I have to say that I was a wild young man. I'm not going to elaborate much on that. I was wild, rebellious, cantankerous, uh, fighting and resisting the spirit of God. Well, you, you think of all the, the things associated with the wildlife, drinking and, and dancing. It was the uh, era of the show bands, Dave Glover, Joe Dolan, and the Drifters, Dixie Rock in Miami, uh, and Big Tom and the Mainliners. Uh, and we travelled all over the, the, the country, uh, to the Floral Hall, to the Flamingo, to the Starlight Hotels, all of these things. And travelling home, maybe half three in the morning, four o'clock, on a Saturday morning, maybe a Sunday morning. I could have been killed. But God in his grace and in his mercy preserved me. Even in my stupid rebellion, trying to find acceptance in the sight of my peers. Not really enjoying it necessarily, but wanting to find acceptance in the sight of my peers. It was damaging to my soul. And I didn't realize how serious the situation was. So God and his great mercy kept me alive. And the word came to mind many a time. Where art thou? What are you doing with your life? Where are you going? What will your destination be in eternity? So the first question is, where art thou tonight? How is it with your soul? Are you following in the footsteps that I have set? Are you following in someone else's footsteps, a rebellious parent, a rebellious family member, a friend, a loved one, a neighbor? You've got to think about you. You've got to think about where you will be a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, ten thousand years from now. Where will your soul be in God's great eternity? Adam tried to hide from God. I tried to hide from God for many years trying to get away from God, trying to get those things out of my mind. But he, like the good shepherd, came seeking me. He came after me. He found me in a bind in my life. Took a dealing with me in mercy and in grace. He can do the same for you. Make no mistake about it. That brings me then to the second question. It's the first question in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. The wise man they have heard some kind of rumor away in ex-Persia direction. Of course, it may have been due to the ministry of Daniel there years before and what God had done in answer to prayer. But light was given to these individuals and it brought them from Persia, wherever it was, it brought them to Jerusalem and they came into the presence of the king of the land and they said, where is he? That's a reference to Christ. Man is seeking God now. I met a girl, and this is a vital part of my testimony as well. I met a girl 54 years ago, or thereabouts. It was in Ballymena. Now, way back then, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a car until I was married. A lot of the other young people my age didn't have a car either. And so a Saturday night came, Friday night, Saturday night came. You head into Ballymena. You're all spruced up. It was the era of bell-bottom jeans, 
flower power shirts. Remember those flower shirts? Ridiculous looking things. And the blue suede shoes. Elvis has left the building. You know that kind of thing. You know, you're all dolled up with nowhere to go, as Dr. Paisley used to say. And that was it. And uh, I used to have a pair of these Michael Pickler shoes. You know, people tried to get a, a small pair of shoes. You know, and then if they had these pointy things on, you remember the ones at a point, uh, and they looked about maybe 15 inches. You know, uh, uh, Chelsea boots they were called. So we're all dressed up. I'm walking around Ballymena, and, and you walked up uh, Wellington Street, down around Church Street, along Lennon Hall Street. You're just walking in a circle. And sometimes she stopped off and had a greasy fish supper, a bit of chat and that kind of thing. But we're also looking for talent. Now, you know what talent is? Oh, yes, you know, you're laughing at it. You know exactly what I'm going to say. It's not talent for a talent contest that you'd have on TV. You're looking for someone, a girl to date or a boy to date, if you're a girl walking around. And so we were walking around just as usual. And there happened to come along three or four girls, nice looking girls, and we stopped with them. And she, one of the girls said to me, you're Derek Irwin, and you work in Britain's shoe factory. Right? She said, do you? How do you know? She says, I work there as well. Oh, that sounds really encouraging. No, ding dong. This could be hit, you see. So we chatted, uh, and that's it. Well, Monday morning came. I still had this girl in my mind. I couldn't remember her last name. And we worked in Britain's shoe factory, and there may have been uh, maybe 150 uh, girls working there, maybe 100 men. They had a factory from Coleraine, and then it, it merged with the Ballymena. Maybe some of you actually worked there, but they moved up to Ballymena. And so they had this, uh, these uh, shelves between, to be barriers between the men and the women, you see. And... Uh, then you had uh, a place called a smoking bay. Men who wanted to smoke for a few minutes, they could go there. If you wanted to drink a, a Coke, you, you could go and sit there. Uh, and this man came up, a man called Jimmy. He knew everybody in the place, male and female. He knew everything about them. Well, he says, uh, Derek, uh, what did you do on Saturday night? I says, well, I met a girl, but I don't know her name. He says, I'll find out who she is. So he disappeared, and a couple of hours later, he made contact with me, and he says, I know who that girl is. And uh, he gave me her name, and she says, she sits right up there, just up there. So uh, that was okay. And those times when you come back in after the lunch break, you had to clock in. You might have to clock in. And just as I was clocking in, a few of those men who'd been sitting in the smoking bay who heard the whole conversation with this man called Jimmy, they surrounded me and they carried me in their shoulders. They took me up to the, the place where there was a break between the shelves and now I see a hundred eyes upon me here. These women start to cheer and to shout. They want to know what's going on. And so these men carry me down to Anne's machine and set me down there and then they disappeared. And there I was standing with my blue suede shoes on, my bell-bottom jeans on, and a flower power short. And they kept on saying, Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. So I did pick up the courage. It wasn't very romantic. But I said in front of all these women, and all these men watching on, I said, will you go out with me? And she said, no. <laughs> I said, no. 
So if it was bad before that happened, when those women heard that, they went absolutely crazy and shouting. And there I was standing with my blue suede shoes on and my bell-bottom jeans. And I didn't know what to do. I was mortified. And I felt my face was like a 250 bulb. What bulb? I was really burning up, you know. And uh, then uh, I didn't know what to do. And then I said, well, I better get out of here to try to get these women shut up. So I turned to walk away. And as I turned to walk away, I heard this pathetic voice behind me. Listen to it. Wait a wee minute. I turned around. I knew at that moment I had her hooked. She was hooked. And from that moment, she's been under my thumb. And if you believe that, you'll believe anything. (laughs) So that's what she said. And then we, we got a day put on. And God in his providence saw to it that he was bringing me into a right family. And even in Britain's shoe factory, I was under the means of grace. They had a Wednesday afternoon gospel service and the Lord was working and speaking in my heart. Eventually, we did get married in the providence of God. Go back to the wise men. Where is he? And that voice then came to my heart, even at that time, where is he? Where is Christ? Well, in the story of the wise men, you think about the star that they followed. There was a sign given to them way back in Persia. I don't believe that the star was uh, conscious or uh, in, in the sky all the way back to Jerusalem, but it pointed them in the direction of Jerusalem. That's why the men came to Jerusalem. And then they had to have the scriptures opened by the priests and the scribes to further instruct them. The star led them to Jerusalem, but not to Christ. It took the scriptures to lead them to Christ, and then it was revealed that Christ would be born in Bethlehem, and the wise men continued on the journey, and they fell before Christ. They found the Christ. They followed the star, followed the star, that was given. In Britain's, I mentioned this, they had Sunday afternoon, uh, Wednesday afternoon meetings rather. And uh, then my father-in-law, one of the best men I ever knew was my father-in-law, Anne's dad. And we were just talking the other day and uh, when he died, they were taking out his clothes. And it was a man who always liked the peppermint he always had pullaments in this pocket and every suit he had and every jacket he had. But he always had a gospel tract. Quiet man and Stephen's dad worked with him and the both of them, two big men, they had a good testimony and they both lived for their saviour and they brought glory to the saviour's great name. That was my father-in-law. A great man. Another man who greatly influenced me even in my ministry in Ballygown was a man called William Boyd. That's Mrs. Curran's uncle. William Boyd was an old-timer in the gospel. Brought up in the Catechism and the Westminster Confession of Faith, a man who knew doctrinal truth, a love for souls, a worker among the boys and girls in the Sunday school, a faithful elder in the congregation, a man with a sense of humor, and his wife, his wife, she was called Lily, he was called William, came to around the 12th of July time and he was 
King William and she was the orange lil. And that was how they always addressed themselves around that time of the year. But he was a man of God. He was the, uh, looked after the burial of uh, the, the, the graveyard at that time. And there was one time he had an accident. It was down at the very bottom of the graveyard. Uh, and they put in the big eight before plate to prevent the soil falling into the grave. And our brother was telling everybody to, to stay away. And there's a gap between the soil and, the, and the, the, the plate. And he happened to put his foot in that and he fell over into the grave and he broke his leg. This was the kind of man he, he, he was. You see, the first Sunday when he came back to church, I was asking for a favorite hymn. You know what it was? Up from the grave he rose. <laughs> I lost it in the pulpit. But that's the man, a man of God. And so these two individuals, my father-in-law and this man, William Boyd, made a great impact upon my life. I, I used bad language in my unconverted days, but I never felt comfortable taking the Lord's name in vain for some strange reason. And I had two sets of grandparents, both saved. I am convinced that God used their prayers to bring me to faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody prayed for me. And somebody's praying for you tonight. You can't see it. You can't uh, have any insight into this. The danger you're in, you're perishing, you're sinning. People are praying for you and willing you into the kingdom of God. And you're here in God's divine providence. And God wants to be gracious to you. He wants to lift you out of the pit of sin and set you gloriously free. So I'm under the preaching of the word. I'm attending a little mission hall called Listen to Philon. My father-in-law takes every opportunity to preach to me the glorious gospel of grace. I'm getting under conviction. Where is he? That's the question. Where is he? The star they followed, the sun they found. It was the scriptures that brought them to Christ. And I do believe that under the means of grace, God softened my hardened heart. He brought me under conviction of sin. Now, the king of the land and the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, when the wise men came, they were able to send the wise men to the correct place. But the king and the wise men and the religious leaders, they didn't follow suit. They didn't go themselves. And so like so many people today, they know the gospel from their youth, from earliest times, but they'll not go themselves to see if it's true, to prove the gospel and to trust in Jesus Christ. That's what these religious leaders did. They sent others to Bethlehem, but they themselves would not go. There's a time when Jacob and his family needed food. There was a famine in the land and Jacob sent his family down to Egypt to get food there, but he didn't go first. Maybe you send your kids to Sunday school. Thank God for that. Send them out more often. Send them along to children's meetings. Hopefully at the end of the year, September time, we'll get the children's meeting up and going again. Send them along. Get them under the means of grace. But you come yourself. You set an example. You bring them along. Don't send them. You bring them. It's an awful thing to lead your family to hell. You love your boys and girls. You cherish them. You care for them deeply. Set an example. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Trust in him and pray that God will deal in mercy and in grace with your children. 
That's all you can do. Leave them in the hands of God. Take them by the hand. Bring them to the house of God. They might hear the wonderful message of salvation. I'm sending you not to Bethlehem or Jerusalem. I'm calling you to come to Calvary. Because there on the cross of Calvary, God's dear son died an atoning death. He had no sins of his own to give an account for. But because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's it in a nutshell. Do you hear it tonight? Are you listening? Are you taking it in? Don't let it be like water of a duck's back. Listen to it carefully. Think about it as never before. Put yourself into the message. That's where you find rest. That's where you find peace. That's where you find deliverance. That's where I was delivered from a foul mouth, delivered from a sinful life, sinful lifestyle. I could have been in hell, but for the grace of God. And God found me in his providence and in his mercy, and he brought me to the cross. I found Christ at the cross. And then the situation the wise men faced. There was a threat from Herod. When Herod realized the wise men hadn't uh, followed his orders and returned to tell him about finding Jesus, they went home another way. God directed them to go another way. And I want to tell you something. When you meet Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will always go in a different direction. That's the grace of God. You can't remain in the lifestyle that you have been enjoying. You repent of your sins. You believe the gospel. You come to Christ. You say farewell to the world and the things of the world. So they went home a different direction. And you can go home tonight in a different frame of mind. You can go from this place and go in a different direction. Because of grace. Because of God's grace. You can be saved tonight. You can be liberated tonight. You can be saved from a life of sin. You might think to yourself, oh, I have too many wicked sins in the past. How will God forgive me? He can forgive you graciously. He can forgive you in mercy because his mercy is great. And he delights in the salvation of the lost. He delights in the salvation of those who are stained by sin and tainted by sin. Harlot the Rahab was gloriously saved. The harlot was gloriously saved. Transformed by grace. Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of the church, saved by grace. Others who may not have been as vile as them were saved by grace. This is the answer. This is the, the solution. The first question, where art thou? Where are you tonight spiritually? Second question, where is he? Where is Christ? Any place in your life for him? And then finally, the final question, what shall I do then with Jesus? Matthew 27, verse 22. I, I'm applying this in regards to what I did with my life after coming and trusting Jesus Christ. Some people stop at their conversion and they don't go on to tell what God uh, has done for them and how he has changed their lives and what they became as a result of salvation. I'm going to take a moment or two. Be patient with me. To tell you what he has done for me. I, I worked in Wright's Coach Works. Uh, our brother who preached this morning. I think he worked there as well. But that was my time was a long time before that. And then there I, I felt uh, the call of God. 
uh, I felt very unsettled for a good number of years, 74, 75, around that time. Some of my friends uh, uh, were feeling the call of God. The Reverend Greer went into a seminary around that time, 74, I think, maybe. And uh, so I had to get exams because I had no time for school. Uh, when I came to the age to leave, I left with no education practically. So the first thing I had to get was three O-levels. And boy, it was tough going for me to get three O-levels. I got two of them okay, but I couldn't get the third one. Uh, the third one was very, very difficult. It was a history one, and uh, I found it tough going. I couldn't get a teacher to teach me. had to do it by correspondence course, and I failed the thing three times. And uh, people in the free church were, were praying for me, and they knew what I was doing. And, and so when it came to August time, when the results came in, people from all over the church just phoned up to say, well, how did it go this time? Ah, oh, failed. Next time, how did it go this time? I failed. So the third time, I said to Anne, I'm not staying in the house uh, this Saturday. We'll go to Port Rush. And so we set off to Port Rush. And all the people who would have phoned me were in Port Rush that day. I had to meet them face to face and tell them I failed it again. But I was leading a meeting one night uh, in a house meeting. They called me their pastor, Craig Nagura Prayer Fellowship. We used to have maybe 30, 40 people. Uh, coming along to pray, and uh, one of the men asked me to get to ask to get uh, Dr. Bill Woods uh, to come down to take part in the meeting. Uh, it wasn't me; uh, I'd never met Bill personally, but he was my hero. And so uh, I led the service. And at the end of the meeting, he said to me, "Are you Derek?" I says, "I am." He says, "What are you doing about your O level?" And uh, I says, how do you know about that? Oh, he says, I have, I have means to find out these things. And he said, it's time you had a chat, that's the way he put it, with a man upstairs. Bill was due to leave for Brazil, I think it was at the beginning of January. He phoned me from the airport. He says, listen, Derek, I've got a private teacher organized for you in Belfast. You go up on Wednesday night and see him. He'll get you sorted out. I drove up to Belfast to meet him on a Wednesday night. Uh, he changed the whole history course. He said in that first time, he says, I want you to concentrate on five subjects in this course. This was January. The exam was coming up in June time, I think it was. Bill said to me on the phone, you have no need to pay any expenses. I'll cover it for you. And he later said, I could never become a free Presbyterian, but I helped to make one. That's just Bill Woods. And so he was flying back to Brazil, highland up. And inside those four or five months, uh, uh, the teacher, a man called Billy Ennis, and uh, he worked with me, and they gave me simple essays to write out. And when I went for the exam, it was in a school in Larne. I think the children must have been doing 11 plus or something like that, uh, or I don't know what it was, but it was a big assembly hall of children, and I was the only adult in the place, and me trying to sit down to a children's desk the way I was, and Mrs. Alison Patterson, Reverend Patterson's wife, she was there, she remembers me being there. I didn't know her at that time, and she didn't know me. The, very, the following Sunday I preached in Martyrs, 
And then she realized that what I was there for, she realized I was a preacher looking for that soul level. I was sitting there. When I turned the page over, the five questions that Billy had given to me to prepare me for the exam turned up on the page, almost word for word. So I closed my eyes and I jotted down a few things and then the Lord helped me all the way through. When the time came for the results, my brother-in-law worked in the school in Larne and he called me to my little office in Wrights and uh, he said, uh, these results are out, do you want to hear? I says that. Uh, I'm not sure. And then he got a wee bit peeved at me and he said, do you want to hear this result or not? I says, okay, you've passed. He says, are you sure I've passed? That, that really got irritated. So I left that wee office and I went round to another place where I used the phone and I phoned the principal of the, of the college in Lauren. I explained who I was. Could you just give me my result? I says, you've passed. And I said, well, I just want to be sure. Are you sure about that? And he was getting irritated now. And then, uh, in those times, just get a wee piece of paper about this length here with your name and numbers on it and the grade. You know that? Some of you have had it. And I said, uh, what time do you close up? I says, we usually leave here about half three. I was working in Ballymena. My wife was in the, working in the bakery. I said, would you mind if I was to go down and get that wee bit of paper just to be sure? I said, that's okay. So I went down, parked outside the school. I wouldn't go in for it. I had so many disappointments. I sent Anna in. And she came out with this wee bit of paper up the SA. I think she'd won the FA Cup or something. Just <laughs> and that was it. All the way up to, to Bellamina, I looked and looked. I stopped the car two or three times and I looked. That may have been on a, a Tuesday. I met up with the presbytery on Friday night and was accepted. You know, there was a time I thought I would never get into the Whitfield College of the Bible. And then there was a time I thought I was never going to get out of it. Four years and uh, 62 exams later, I survived. I was sent as a student to Six Mile Cross. I got called to Six Mile Cross. I left there for Ballygown. I was there 13 years. I lectured in the Whitfield College, believe it or not, for four years before I left to go to America. That's an amazing thing. Mr. Douglas called me one time we were down at Portadown. He called me to the side and you know the way it is. He said, well, you know that Mr. Cook is retiring and Mr. Uh, Mr. Elliot is uh, taking that over. What do you think about that? I, I, I didn't know what he was talking about. He says, what do you think about that? I says, what do you mean? Would you take Mr. Elliot's position in the college? I was flabbergasted. I still have to pray about it. Well, he said, that's fine, but I need an answer by, by the night. <laughs> by the night, so it didn't give me much time to, to make arrangements. But the Lord, you see, in his mercy and his grace, the Lord touched my heart. He regenerated me, changed my heart, put me in a different direction, gave me different desires, different skills and ability. I still have the same personality that I've always had. But the Lord has worked in my heart. And then eventually I was called to Orlando and I was there for 14 years, retired six years ago. My birthday was on the 3rd of May. We flew from Orlando on the 4th of May and we arrived in Dublin on the 5th of May. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? In the case 
of Pilate. You think of his dilemma. The Jewish leaders and his wife were against, uh, the Jewish leaders were against him. His wife said, you shouldn't commit this man. You shouldn't uh, have this man crucified. There's a fault in this man. Potiphar listened to his conniving wife and had Joseph cast into prison. Pilate didn't listen to his concerned wife and crucified Jesus. And what's the conclusion we can reach there? There's a time you listen to your wife and there's a time you don't listen to her. You can see it here in this story before us. His dilemma, what shall I do then with Jesus? His decision, he washed his hands but handed him over to be crucified. He made a foolish choice to please his peers. I find no fault in this man, but he rejected him. His destiny. He disappears from the page of scripture. He returned to Rome where he apparently committed suicide. He awaits the judgment day. One day Christ stood before him at the judgment bar on earth. And Pilate said, crucify him and sent them away one day Pilate will stand before the judgment bar of God and Christ will say to him Pilate once I stood before you and you sent me away you're here today and I send you away depart from me you cursed I never knew you what shall I do then with Jesus just call Christ. That's the dilemma you have tonight. You've got to make a choice. You've got to decide. Where art thou spiritually? Where is he spiritually? What shall I do then with Jesus? We just call Christ. And I give him all of the praise and all the honor and all of the glory for doing great things for me. I still can't believe he called me to be a preacher. But that's what God can do for anyone by his matchless grace. And if you're not converted, I would encourage you to seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Get to the cross. And get to the cross tonight. May God bless this word of testimony for his name's sake. We're going to sing a closing hymn and give the ladies the opportunity just to get things prepared. I think it is uh, hymn number 377 in our hymn book. Three seven seven, And we'll stand as we sing. I have something in my heart that Jesus gave to me it makes me feel like singing glory all the day. That's my testimony. He found my captive soul and gave me liberty. And now I feel like singing glory. So if you want to feel like singing glory,